Hey, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad to have you all joining us online as well. Uh, Good to see a few more faces here in the auditorium. I know there's still more online than in person, but glad that you are uh, joining us this morning. We're winding down 2020. Somebody say amen. Amen. Yeah. I came across an uh, article. I, I get a lot of articles. I get a lot of blogs. I get a lot of stuff that I read during the week. And I came across something just this past week that sort of caught my eye. And the title to the article was, What if Jesus meant all those things he said? And there was one part in particular that sort of made me stop and pause. Uh, the writer was talking about he and some friends walking through kind of a sidewalk fair. Part of the town had been cordoned off, and there was some community event going on, and there were some street performers and artists and musicians, that kind of thing. But here's what he says. We passed a street magician who was doing some pretty cool stuff. He was making things disappear. Then he would do some pretty amazing card tricks, and there was this huge crowd of people watching him. He was having fun. They were having fun. He'd do a trick and everyone would clap and wait for him to do something else. Not too far down the street from the magician was a preacher. He was standing on a box, yelling as loudly as he could. Beside him he had a coffin and a fake dead body inside. And he was screaming that everyone was going to die and go to hell if they didn't listen to Jesus. There wasn't a crowd around the preacher. In fact, most people were going out of their way to avoid him. A few people mumbled mumbled some less than kind remarks, but most just tried to ignore him. And then here's the point that, that the writer made, and I think it's a valid point. Maybe Christianity spreads best not through force, but through fascination. And I liked that quote. And I think it's a valid point, and I think it's an accurate quote, at least for me, in my realm of influence, the people that I interact with. It might not be true everywhere for all people, but for the people that that I meet, the people that I talk to, I'm convinced that Christianity spreads more and better, not through force, but through fascination. Even though everything the preacher was saying that day was exactly true. No one was stopping to listen. No one was paying any attention to him. And maybe our Christian lives have become less and less fascinating to the people that we meet, the people that we talk to. Maybe there's nothing fascinating about our lives. Maybe we don't really give people that you know, we meet, our neighbors and our friends, a reason to stop and listen. If that's the case, if that's true, If our lives are getting less and less fascinating as Christians, that means we are looking less and less like Jesus. Because I'm telling you, Jesus' life was fascinating. And Jesus' teaching was fascinating. Maybe we've just forgotten the joy and the excitement and, and just the fascination of being a Christian. You've probably heard the story about the the preacher who was cleaning out his uh, garage one day and he came across an old bicycle that he'd had, hadn't ridden it in years, but he pumped up the tires 
and he decided to take it for a little spin around the neighborhood. And a couple streets over, he saw a little boy sitting on the edge of the lawn with a push mower and a sign that said, Mower for Sale. And so the preacher stopped and said, uh, Son, how much are you asking for your mower? And the little boy said, I'm not sure. I just want to get enough money to buy a bicycle. And the preacher asked, Well, would you be willing to maybe trade this bike for that mower? Maybe make a deal here. The little boy looked at him and said, well, could I try it out first? Sure. So he goes pedaling off down the street. He comes back and said, mister, you got a deal. The preacher said, well, can I try out the mower? The little boy said, sure. So he pulls it a few times, pulls on the cord. It doesn't start. He yanks a couple more times. It won't start. The preacher said, son, this mower won't start. The little boy said, well, that's because you got to cuss while you're pulling the string. The preacher said, son, I'm a preacher. I I haven't cussed in a long, long time. I'm not sure I still remember how. Little kid said, keep pulling that string. It'll come back to you. (laughs) Have we forgotten how fascinating the Christian life is? Have we forgotten just how blessed we are to be children of God? The joy that comes with that? The excitement that should come with that? This time of year, we should be reminded... It should be coming back to us this time of year, if not uh, all times of year. This is the season of joy, right? This is the season of hope. This is the, the, the season of peace. You know, people gravitate to that, right? That's all good news. This season should be our season, right? This is our time. Everybody's talking about our conversations. Everybody's talking about joy and peace and hope. That's what we talk about. Everybody's talking about Jesus. Those are our conversations. And we don't even have to start them. We're always trying to get people to talk about Jesus. Now everybody's talking about Jesus. And also, have you noticed? They're singing our songs. Everybody's singing our songs. The songs, they're all about Jesus. On secular radio, I'm hearing songs about Jesus. You know, several stations in Tampa here are playing nothing but Christmas music. The Dove 105, they started playing Christmas music, I think, right after the 4th of July. <laughs> to, uh, they got a, like a playlist of eight songs, so you hear the same songs over and over again. But one of the songs I've been hearing an awful lot this year, and I'm sure you have too, Andy Williams, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. It's a great song. It's a very happy song. It's a feel-good song. It's, it paints a, a very you know, Norman Rockwell-esque picture of Christmas. There'll be parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. It's the hap- happiest time of the year. But I don't have to tell you that for a lot of people, it is not the most wonderful time of the year. And for a lot of people, it is not the hap happiest time of the year but it's a season of joy everybody's talking about Jesus they're singing our songs last week I shared with you a Christmas story and I had to convince you that it was a Christmas story if you remember I talked about Joseph but not the Joseph of the New Testament we talked about Joseph of the Old Testament this year I'm not going to have that challenge because you're going to recognize this sermon as a birth of Jesus sermon Uh, It's going to sound very familiar to you, but I'm going to tell you two things about my lesson today. 
First, it's sort of aimed at those of you, those of us, those of you who might find this season not the happiest season of all, not the most wonderful time of the year. And the other thing about this lesson, it's going to be fascinating, I hope. Uh, It's a fascinating story. And even though it's a fascinating story, I'm going to only focus on one verse of the fascinating story. In fact, I'm only going to focus on one word in the one verse of the fascinating story. But I'll tell you right up front, it's a good word. It's a really powerful word. and it's a, it's a fascinating word. It's a word that should bring us a great deal of joy. It actually shows up first in a, a promise, a, a prophecy made in the Old Testament by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. We'll call him Emmanuel. That's what Isaiah prophesied. Then about 700 years later, the gospel writer Matthew, referencing Isaiah, would tell us a little bit more information. All this took place, talking about the birth of Jesus, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. And then Matthew interprets that for us, which means God with us. And that little word, with, is where I want to stop and focus this morning. God with us. Not God above us. Not even God all around us. God with us. And the reason why that little word, with, is so important, and the reason why that word, with, is so powerful, is that From a very young age, back when we were just little kids, we all understand how hard it is and how sad it is to be alone, right? Nobody wants to be the kid in the cafeteria eating all by themselves at a table in the corner. Nobody wants to be that kid. We understand that pain. Remember the movie Forrest Gump? When Forrest is getting on the school bus for the first time, and he's walking down the aisle of the bus, and the kids are all moving to the side going, this seat's saved. Find somewhere else. Can't sit here. That's my southern accent, by the way. Doesn't play well in Alabama either. But you kind of feel that little boy's pain, right? I mean, you just hurt for that little kid. He's looking for somebody to let him sit with him. And then finally, towards the back of the bus, this little girl scoots over and says, you can sit with me. And he sits down, she introduces herself as Jenny, and Forrest introduces himself as Forrest, Forrest Gump. And we know that from then on, Jenny and Forrest are just peas and carrots. And he doesn't worry about being alone anymore. You know, this time of year, it is portrayed as just the perfect time for friends and family and parties and you know, everybody's posting on social media how their Christmas experience is so much better than your Christmas experience and everything has to be just right and it's so happy and wonderful but for a lot of people people who have suffered loss or a breakup or an illness or depression 
Maybe people who can't have children. Someone who doesn't have someone in their lives. You know, a relationship. Maybe for a reason they can't even explain. This time of year, it's the most loneliest time of the year. And sometimes we think our loneliness is something is caused because the right people aren't in our lives. And if I just could get the right person in my life, then I wouldn't be lonely anymore. No, I'm lonely because um, I, I don't, I'm not in the right relationship. I just, if the right person were here, then that would solve my problem. A theologian by the name of Elvis Presley once said, I'll have a blue Christmas without you. And yet there is a loneliness, there is an aloneness that goes much deeper than anything any one person or group of people could take away. And when you read the Bible, it becomes very clear very quickly that God hates us to be alone. We weren't created to be alone. Very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of the first book, uh, God says... Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a companion who will help him. God creates everything in a couple days. He says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He creates man and said, not so good. Something's missing. Something's wrong. He's alone, that's the problem. So he creates a woman. And then later on, again, Old Testament prophet Isaiah says this, don't be afraid for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my, righteous, with my victorious right hand. And then in the New Testament, that same promise is repeated several times, including the book of Hebrews. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And then the very last book of the Bible, very end of Scripture, Revelation 21.3, John says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. That word with just keeps coming up over and over again in Scripture. God doesn't want anybody sitting in the cafeteria by themselves. In fact, the central theme of the Bible is God's desire to be with his people. In the Old Testament alone, there's over 100 promises in some form or fashion of God saying, I will be with you. And if that's not enough, then in the New Testament, we see that God goes way beyond that and says, I'm going to come and be with you. He sends Jesus to the earth. The biggest miracle shows up in the smallest package. And God causes all of his person and all of his power and all of his presence and all of his majesty to be compacted and and compressed into this tiny little human being. He goes to earth to be with us. Because Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. And in a lot of ways, that word with sort of becomes Jesus' signature word. He begins his ministry And he selects a handful of people to to follow him and to be with him. Just normal guys, fishermen and tax collectors. Kind of a ragtag bunch, really. He designates designates 12 of them to be his apostles. Three years later, he'll tell those same men in John chapter 15, you must also tell others about me because you've been with me from the beginning. 
And then later on, after Jesus returns back to heaven, we're told that the followers of Jesus uh, were so different, and they were so unique, and they were so impressive, that the only way anybody could really explain it was this way, Acts chapter 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. You might say they were fascinated. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In fact, that little word with is really what got Jesus killed. You know, he hung out with the wrong people. Scandalous people, according to the leaders of the time. Prostitutes, sinners. So the authorities arrest him, hang him on a cross. He dies, they bury him. God brings him back to life. Jesus eventually returns to be with the Father, but the last thing he said before he left this earth, the very last promise, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The very last promise Jesus made is, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And and we say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense because I don't see him. I don't know that he's here. He's not here physically. But come on. We know that someone doesn't have to be with us physically to be with us, right? Just like we know that sometimes people are with us physically and their hearts and their minds and their attention and their soul is like a million miles away. We have a name for those people. We call them husbands, right? No, I'm kidding. We call them teenagers. No, I'm kidding. But the message of the Bible is God's not restricted by the things that restrict us. He's not limited by space and by time. And the fascinating thing is not only can Jesus be with us uh, always to the end of the age, the fascinating thing is he wants to be with us. He has chosen to be with us to the end of the age. That's why he was in a manger in Bethlehem. That's why I call him Emmanuel. God with us. And the sustaining power of that reality cannot be understated. Man, we just can't minimize how important that is. It's that reality that makes the weak strong. It's God with us that's made so many deathbeds a, a place of victory. Brought hope to people in their old age. Brought courage to people who are desperate. Freedom to people who are addicted. It's brought confidence to people who've been told all their lives, you don't fit. You don't belong. And it turns out our, our loneliness is sort of a clue about who we are and how we've been created. Just like our hunger kind of proves that we were created to eat, and our thirst proves that we were created to drink, Our loneliness proves that we were created to be living for God and with God. Let me share a story with you. True story. A story from my past. Um, And I'll tell you, it it is one of the sweetest memories that I have of my married life. 
Uh, most of you know that I grew up in western Pennsylvania. When Martha and I were first married, I, uh, we went back and lived there for a couple years. I drove a tractor trailer for a living for a couple years in western Pennsylvania. Um, just a kid driving a truck in the, the snow and the hills and all that stuff. One December, we were living there. Uh, it had been snowing all that day. And uh, when it snowed at home, it snowed a lot. That is actually a picture of my old farm barn, sent to me three days ago by my cousin. Uh, that's western Pennsylvania in the snow. Just to give you a sense of the, the kind of December day it was, I had just unloaded the truck. I was two hours from home. It had been snowing all day, and it was way before cell phones, anything like that, but there was a phone there at the place where I had just unloaded. So I called Martha, and I said, listen, I'm going to go ahead and head home, be there in about two hours. She said, well, it's snowing pretty hard here. I said, yeah, it's snowing pretty hard here too, but I think I'll be okay. Well, I left, headed home, and it just started coming down. I mean, it was snowing just to beat the band, one of those like blizzard kind of snowfalls. And um, an 18-wheeler that's empty is like the worst thing to be on the road. And I am thinking, this is nuts. I'm never going to make it. But I was 23 years old. I was too stupid and too stubborn to pull over and wait it out. So I was just bound and determined to get home because there was a long weekend coming up and I didn't want to be on the side of the road somewhere. So I'm the only thing on the road. Late at night, um, I'm not even sure I'm on the road part of the time. Seriously, I mean, it's just, I'm trying to stay in the middle of the white ribbon there. I am gripping the steering wheel just white knuckle tight. I am. I, I knew Martha would be worried. I was scared to death. Uh, this, this is crazy. What am I doing? But um, my two-hour trip took me almost five hours. I mean, I was creeping along, trying to get over the hills, and then sliding down the other side. And I was going so slow, and I was so afraid. By the grace of God, I make it home. I pull into the farm. I park beside the barn. I noticed that the lights in the barn were all out, the dust-to-dawn lights. Through the blizzard, I see down to the house, and the lights are all out there. The electricity's out. Oh, no surprise there. And I get out of the truck in the, just, just the snow pouring down, and through the snow, I can see that there's smoke coming out of the chimney. Oh, she's got a fire. And I see a candle burning in the window. And I see the door open. And Martha walks out. It is one of the sweetest memories I have of my married life. We're still making memories. But I love that memory. And I don't love it just because I remember what happened. I love it because I remember how I felt. I'm home. I made it. I didn't think I was going to make it, but I, I made it. And I was just overcome with this sense of relief, this sense of contentment, this sense of okayness. I think maybe that's the feeling that God wants to give us multiplied by infinity. To be able to step out of a raging blizzard into a warm place, a safe reality, a place of well-being. That's why Jesus came. To let us know it's better here. It's warmer here. 
It's okay here. You belong here. You made it. You're not alone. Because I'm here. David would write in Psalm 16, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. There is a joy that comes in being in the presence of God and knowing that God is with us. And I I think we'd probably all agree that there's not many things more devastating than feeling all alone. Because we're not meant to be alone. We weren't created to be alone. God wants us to know, even when you think you are, you're not. You think about Mary. She becomes pregnant. I'm sure she felt very, very alone. Young girl, not married, expecting a child. Do you think anyone believed that the father of that child was the Holy Spirit? Do you think anyone bought that story? Do you think that Mary didn't notice all the people that were distancing themselves from her, all the people that were giving her those looks, those whispers? Do you think she didn't hear the gossip? Would anyone believe that an angel spoke to Mary? Probably not. But do you remember the very first thing the angel said to her? The very first promise that the angel shared with Mary. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. First promise Mary gets, you aren't alone. Mary, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. And once you do believe it, nobody else is going to believe what I'm about to tell you. Mary, this is going to be difficult for you. Uh, You're going to be troubled, and you're going to be confused with this. But listen, Mary, you are not alone. The Lord is with you. Now, for a lot of people, this time of the year is the most wonderful time of the year. And we'll celebrate that. And we'll thank God for that. But also, for a lot of people, this is a difficult season. This is a very lonely season. And God understands that. God understands loneliness. God is with us, even when we don't feel like He's with us. But His presence and His power aren't contingent on our feelings. It's contingent on on His promise. Contingent on the proof. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call His name Emmanuel which means God with us. It's a fascinating story. Let's pray. Father, it was never your intention for us to be alone. It was never your desire for your children to be lonely. And so you sent Jesus to the earth. And every day we're surrounded by people uh, all the time. But sometimes we just still feel so lonely inside. We struggle with doubt and depression and fears and just feeling lost. And Father, sometimes I know we we sort of lose sight of you. I'm thankful that you never lose sight of us. Thank you that you've not forgotten us and you've promised that you never will. 
Father, forgive us for not trusting you more. Forgive us for doubting your goodness and not believing that you're really here. Father, may we choose to set our eyes on you today. May we choose joy, choose peace and hope, knowing that with you before us, behind us, and right here with us, we have nothing to fear. And I pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Dave has got a song that he's going to lead to help us get ready to, to share the Lord's Supper together.